Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Before we get into today's episode, a couple things. First, I wanted to remind everyone about another ESPN podcast. You may have heard of Mina Kimes, someone who did this podcast for a while and then stopped doing the podcast. No, Mina's great. Mina's on the show once in a while. But Mina hosts the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny which is another excellent NFL podcast. Mina talks all things football with her unique brand of humor and insight. So I, I can't imagine that anybody who listens to this show is not also listening to the Mina Kimes show. But if you're not, don't be stupid. Just go download and subscribe to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. And if you're not subscribed to the Bill Barnwell show, also do that. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now here's Robert Mays to talk about the Thursday night game and League's 11 2-0 teams, including his beloved Chicago Bears, right now on the Bill Barnwell Show. All right, now joining me, as promised here on the Bill Barnwell Show, a regular contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show, and someone who has recently launched a new podcast in a new place. What's the name of that podcast again, Robert Mays? The Athletic, the Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show, proving that for nearly a decade now, we are bad at naming podcasts. It's Robert so Mays. here's the thing. I have, at least I have some plausible deniability this time around. It was already named before I got there. So the other two podcasts that I've done also had no creativity in the name, but I had a hand in those. So I at least can skirt this one a little bit in ways I couldn't before. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. It's going great. It's been a fun season so far. There's been so much stuff to talk about. So many things that have been surprising. We've had no shortage of material to kind of populate the podcast with and people seem to be listening. So I'm a happy man right now. How are you doing? Uh, I've been better. I've been better <laughs> with starts with starts to the season before. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on record as predicting Lions NFC North Division title and that's not going super great so far, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. We're going to talk about some of these 2-0 teams, including one team that may be uh, contributing to Robert Mace's positive mood about the start to the season, but we'll get to them a little later. We're going to start today by talking about last night's um, Thursday night football game. The annual, I thought uh, obligatory, I thought uh, defined by law, Tennessee-Jacksonville game off the schedule this year, not on Thursday night, replaced by an even more Thursday night game I was going to say, it feels like this is the natural replacement here. I'm not sure. I don't think that there wasn't a Titans-Jaguars game. I think it was just in a different outfit. <laughs> it was in a strange way. Uh, Dolphins and Jaguars, a interesting game. I think people came in excited about the Gardner-Minshew-Ryan Fitzpatrick matchup, which, yes, that's a sentence I just said out loud and meant it. Uh, we left having only seen one of those two quarterbacks deliver, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Had an impressive game. Gardner Minshew, not as much. 
Yeah, I, I think that about all the hoopla and the excitement that kind of came with the first two games of the Gardner Minshew year, we forgot that the Jaguars defense two games into the season had yet to stop anyone. If the Colts turned the ball over, missed a field goal, turned the ball over, and then kicked a field goal three times in the red zone. But Phil Rivers essentially did what he wanted. Ryan Tannehill had a monster day. So it's not surprising that Ryan Fitzpatrick played well last night. It's just that the Jags offense for the first time this year couldn't go score for score for the team they were playing against. And I think it, I forgot going in that they had to be essentially perfect in those first two games to even have a chance. And they just weren't last night. They were far from perfect. I mean, this was a game where if you're Dave Caldwell, you look at two of the free agents you signed over the past couple of years, and you just put your head in your hands with shame and sadness on offense. Did you see the game Chris Conley had for the Jags? It was not great. It was not great at all. I mean, I guess the push off for the pass interference, I think was kind of a little chintzy in the sense that I thought that he, that was, it was it within five yards of the line of scrimmage. You, if you can really press so. the guy up there. I mean, I think that that's, that was like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, Chris Conley has not showered himself in glory during his time with the Jags. We'll say that much. And it was really only one awful drive, but after signing him to a five-year deal for more than $10 million per season, that one drive Joe Schobert had in the first half, did you see that? Why well, I, I did see it. And I, even coming into the season, the Joe Schobert contract was interesting to me because if you're going to tear it all down, right, mm. and systematically get as bad as possible and just show everyone that you're rebuilding, what is the reasoning behind the Joe Schobert contract? I guess you can rationalize it in the, well, you know, we need a stabilizing force in the locker room. He's been around. He's a veteran. That's what Miles Jack does, though. I just never understood it as part of the plan that this Jaguars team had. Yeah, it's like a culture thing. It seemed like yeah. let's, you know, go out of our way to sign uh, a guy who has a good reputation. At the same time, though, when you talk about maybe someone bringing in a different sort of culture, not that Joe Schubert is a bad player or that he was contributing to a subpar culture. Yeah, it's but like, that Browns energy, man. Go, going into the Browns and be like, this is what we need more of here in Jacksonville is just really mixing some Browns into the color palette here for us. Uh, yeah, he needed a drive where he committed the horse collar. And then, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick just ran right by him. Like, it was almost <laughs> embarrassing to see, the, you know, the, this 74-year-old man who was not a great athlete even heading into the NFL, just torching Joe Schubert on a third down scramble. So we, we make all these Ryan Fitzpatrick old jokes. And I was thinking about this last night I was, as I was watching the game. Ryan Fitzpatrick is like not that much older than you. And yeah, but he's I'm, only four years older than me. He seems like a 60-year-old man. But I really, he's 37. I'm 33. I should take mm -hmm. it easy on the Ryan Fitzpatrick old man jokes. I got some bad news for you, Mays. You're only going to get older. And the players in the NFL are not going to have that happen. So you got to take your shots while you have the chance. There's only going to be like a handful more players over the rest of my life who are older than me in the National Football League. And I'm going to call them old while I still can. Ryan Fitzpatrick is like a year, almost two years older than me. I'm taking advantage of that opportunity as I get it. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick, in, in this game, good. I, I don't know about great, but certainly good. I had a thought in my head, and I wanted to ask you what you think. If you had to watch one quarterback every week for the rest of your life, Fitz is kind of high up there, isn't he? What's the criteria, though? Just, just you're going to have overall to entertainment value. Yeah. Like you're going to have to watch one quarterback every Sunday for the rest of your life. Like there are quarterbacks who 
he is not as good as who you would rather watch Fitz because you never know what's going to happen. Like, I'd rather watch Fitzpatrick every week than, I don't know, Derek Carr. Of course I'd rather watch Fitzpatrick than Derek Carr. So I think if we had asked this question 10 years ago and we had this version of Ryan Fitzpatrick, the answer might have been a little different because a lot of the best quarterbacks in the league were boring. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're efficient but boring. You know, like Peyton Manning isn't somebody that's like, oh, man, like what is Peyton Manning going to do this week? He's going to throw the ball to the right guy, and they're going to be really efficient. That's not the case anymore with the best class of quarterbacks in the NFL. Like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are liable to do anything at any time. Mm-hmm. So I can pick a good quarterback who's also exciting in this era. So I think I'm going to go in that direction. Sure, but let's say you don't have a top five pick in this draft. Oh, then that's fine. If I'm trying to get value, then I can absolutely understand that. So I posited this last night, and I'm curious what you think about it. You're a big, you're, let's, let's be clear. You're a big positor. You're positing I'm a positor. stuff all the time. I do a lot of positing. So I think maybe this is just, I'm reading too much into the facial hair part of this, mm-hmm. but doesn't it feel like Gardner Minshew is kind of destined to have a Ryan Fitzpatrick-esque career where he's a super high-end backup. He mm-hmm. gets some chances. We're charmed by him every couple weeks. He does some fun stuff in the post game. It just feels like they're aligned. It's in the stars that they're going to have the same type of presence in the NFL for a very long time. Is that something you're happy about? If you're someone who likes Gardner Minshew? I think it makes sense. I mean, I feel like Gardner Minshew is a fun player who plays the position really well. He, they're different stylistically. Like I think that Gardner Minshew is actually a, a much more, I don't know, conservative is the right word, but I think he he is a much smart. He's a much. It's a much smarter brand of football than what Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing. He, he doesn't despite he, the Harvardness. Yeah, he he's not dropping his helmet to uh, try and lower his shoulder and and deliver shots with the crown of his helmet. You know, six yards downfield, scrambling for or just chucking it into five guys with absolutely yeah. no regard for where the ball and is going. When, when you say five guys, you mean an actual five guys restaurant. <laughs> it ever, so that's kind of what I'm feeling. It's just, 100%. Like, he's going to be a really high end backup for a long time, but physically, I just don't know if he's going to have the tools. Yesterday, though, I have to go back and watch this again. Mm-hmm. But it felt like I don't know if you noticed this or if you agree. It felt like, you know, if you watch the Bills game from last week against the Dolphins, they came out heavy man beating scheme, a lot of crossers, you know, really trying to take advantage of the Dolphins playing that sticky press coverage. Miami didn't seem to be doing a lot of that last night. It felt like there were a lot of crossing routes, just running between zones. Yep. And a lot of the stuff that the Jags probably had dialed up just wasn't working. So I know he had a bad game, but I also assume that they came into that game with the game plan specifically aimed at taking advantage of man press coverage. And they weren't just, they just weren't getting as much of it as they probably planned on. Yeah, Troy actually mentioned that during the game last night. They were playing more zone than they did the week before, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, this Dolphins team obviously was built around those three cornerbacks, uh, Noah Igbenogany and Byron Jones and um, Safian Howard, and the idea that they were going to be great and you could play man coverage and then, you know, do what you want in front of them. And that wasn't the case through two weeks. It just was not working. And so, you know, I, I think that's the long-term goal still, obviously. You don't abandon that after a couple of weeks, but it's still a work in progress. And Jones didn't play uh, pretty much at all in week two. He got hurt, so that also contributed. But, I mean, it makes sense. But you'd hope that if you're Jay Gruden, a guy who has been in the league for a long time, that you would recognize that and have a plan B. No? I mean, look, that shouldn't yeah. be that hard to adjust to. You'd hope so. But at the same time, if you came in thinking one thing the entire week, then it, it can be hard to adjust on the fly. I'm sure that they probably had answers to that. But again, that team had to be so close to perfect offensively, I think has to every single week, mm-hmm. that if you have a couple drives where you're in high leverage situations, you're saying, this is our man beater on third and six. They don't play something that's conducive to that play succeeding. That mm-hmm. drive stalls. 
you're going to fall behind and that game is going to get away from you in a hurry. And I think that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. What are your thoughts on James Robinson being better than Leonard Fournette? It's a really, really bad moment for paying running backs or valuing running backs. I mean, if for all of the contracts that just were handed out, and then for two weeks later, after Kamara got paid and Chris McCaffrey got paid, Dalvin Cook got paid, for this guy to look like he looks coming in as an undrafted free agent, it's just like, man, it, I, I want running backs, running backs to succeed. I want them to be happy. I want them to get paid. And just around every single corner, we have more and more examples about why that shouldn't happen. It's, Those monsters. I mean, it really does bum me out. The pride of Rockford, Illinois. Wow. Robinson. Yeah. Illinois State product. Undrafted free agent. Uh, I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was the best player for the Jaguars in this game. Let me ask you another question about this game, about the Jaguar side of things. And unless you have any other thoughts, we can move on to our Well, I have one more, but we can save it for a second. Okay. What, what, what do you got? Here's my question for you. Which offense... Do you wish the Jaguars would loan LaVisca Chanel to for December and January? San Francisco. Why? He's going to get hurt if he goes there. Don't do that to him. That's a good point. But no, I just, I mean, he's the perfect kind of guy I would want to use in that offense. And if they're not going to have Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk, which seems that they might not, I would love to see that. Also, I I mean, just throw him into Green Bay. Every single time a receiver is available or there's a trade rumor or whatever, he gets linked to the Packers. So I'll just do that again. Oh, I I can think of one wide receiver who was subject to a trade rumor who he didn't want to see go to the Packers, but we'll get to him in a minute. Oh, great. All right, sounds good. The other thing I wanted to mention from this game, do you know who caught the first pass for the Dolphins last night? His name is Durham Smythe. Oh, if yeah. I told you before the game, if Durham's, is Durham Smythe a Sherlock Holmes villain or the second tight end on the Dolphins? What would you have guessed? <laughs> I, I, I like to think that Durham Smythe and Foster Moreau will start a detective agency together. <laughs> Yeah, it's their post-NFL career for yeah, sure. Yeah, they're, they're either NFL tight ends or brands of disruptive glassware. That, uh, <laughs> you t- they send five of them to your house and you pick out one. All right, let's move on. Do you want to give me shit about the Bears now or later? I Excuse me, first off, we don't curse on this show. Maybe I'm that happens sorry. on the <laughs> athletic football show. Maybe, that, maybe that's the appropriate thing to do. This is ESPN. I forgot we were on the, the, I forgot we were on the Walt Disney Zoom channel yeah. here. Mickey, Mickey Mouse is listening to this, and you're just going to curse about the Bears. <laughs> How dare you? Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you. We're going to run through the two and out teams. Going to get some general thoughts on what you think about their start, about their ability to keep us up, not go 16-0. and It would be one of the best teams in football. Obviously, all these teams right now are – uh, in the postseason picture, their chances of keeping all that up. Just general thoughts on these two and out teams. And we're going to start, obviously, with the Bears, because we have to start with the Bears. People want to hear you talk about the Chicago Bears after two and out, even though both of their games to start the season have come down to the final play, or the next to final play. What do you think of this Bears team through two weeks, Mace? I think they're about what I expected them to be. You expected them to be 2-0? and Sure. I mean, I, why wouldn't why couldn't they be 2-0 against the Lions and the Giants? Because they're the Bears. They're not that much better than the Lions or the Giants. Oh, I don't think they're that much better than the Lions or the Giants now, but they beat both of those teams. Sure. I, my, the thing that I'm really encouraged by, and you're watching Mitchell Trubisky for the first two weeks, I don't oh. think he's a markedly different player than he okay, has good. been I, in the past. I, I was worried where you were going with that. Yeah. I, I, was I just... I, I was one of the disappointing things last year was watching him struggle and watch the Bears not have a cogent plan for how to get the most out of him. Mm-hmm. And watching just how drastic some of the choices they've made this year have been, 
I really have enjoyed it. I think it, I really am impressed by them saying, all right, we understood what we did wrong. We're going to overcorrect here. If you look at some of the numbers, I think they were in shotgun on 76% of their plays last season. Mm-hmm. That was one of the highest rates in the league. This year, they've been under center on 57% of their plays. Last year, I think that Trubisky was, used play action in about 19% of his dropbacks. Mm-hmm. This year, it's been about 33% of his dropbacks. Mm-hmm. So they're playing under center. They're running the ball a little bit more, and they're using play action to give him defined reads and choices. And again, just kind of insulating him from the rest of the offense. And I also think that the amount of play action they're using on early downs has been good for the offensive line. Because when you're going to be a drop back team all the time, that's a difficult spot to put your line in. Mm -hmm. Protecting them a little bit and protecting the quarterback a little bit, I think has gotten better results offensively. He's still erratic. His feet are still a mess. You're still never going to be able to rely on him with any sort of consistency. But I do feel like the overall packaging that they're Mm -hmm. using this year is the best version of what this offense can be. Mm -hmm. Now, can I, can I offer a counterpoint to that? You certainly may. I expected you to. Yeah, this offense was a disaster for three quarters against the Lions and scored 17 points against the Giants, who uh, I don't want to disparage my beloved New York Giants, but are a trash football team with a trash defense. Um, I, I don't know if the results have been as impressive or as exciting as maybe you're making them out to be. Oh, I didn't say they were impressive or exciting. I said this is the best version of what this offense can okay. be. I didn't say that's good. Okay. I understand now. Uh, are, you, are you impressed with how the line has played? Was that a problem for them last year? Oh, it was a huge problem. I, I think that every single one of those guys would tell you that they had down years. They looked a little bit better in the run game in the second half of the season when they moved Daniels back to guard and Whitehair back to center. Mm-hmm. So now that's been the setup from the start. I think that their run game has looked better. You know, the left side has played pretty decent as a co- cohesive kind of unit. And I think in pass protection, they do look a lot better this year. I think Massey and Leno – have both played significantly better than they did in 2019. And I do think that that's the spots that the offense and the staff have been putting them in as much as it's their own improvement. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw that Allen Robinson was sort of clamoring for a trade? I, I turned, I just slowly closed the computer and I went for a long walk. Uh, it's, I really just wouldn't understand it at all. I mean, he has been the best player on their offense and, you traded a fourth round pick and gave $20 million guaranteed to a backup quarterback in order to get the most out of this year. And you're going to trade your best offensive player. It's not as, Mm -hmm, it's not as if Brian Pace knows that he's going to be the one using those picks next spring. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand it from a philosophical standpoint or from a value standpoint, because you're not going to get the most you possibly could for him. So he's more valuable to your team than I think he is to another team. And even if you want to, move on from the whatever quarterbacks you have right now next year. If you want to try to draft somebody, if you go in a different direction, isn't a guy like Allen Robinson, the perfect sort of piece to get the most out of whatever quarterback you choose to be your quarterback of the future. I moving him right now on every single level would just be silly to me. Is there another great receiver on this offense that I'm not aware of? No. Why? Cause, cause they, they're going to need someone to catch the football. Oh, well, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Oh, over. Yeah. Over the next couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I mean, he has a $15 million cap hit for this year, and they have about $11 million in cap space, so they can make this work. It's not as if, you know, they're the Saints or, or I guess it's a team, you know, that has $100,000 in cap space where it's tough to clear that out, uh, you know, in the middle of the season. They can make this work, you know, in terms of a structure. And I mean, you know, this is a, a league right now where Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins got deals 
Willie Tucker got a deal with three years left in his contract. DeAndre Hopkins had three years left and got two years added to the end of his contract. Allen Robinson signed a three-year deal in total. So, I mean, he's in the final year of his contract. It's not like a, a ridiculous demand or expectation. I don't know how much he wants necessarily. Maybe he wants $24 million a year and they're not willing to do that. But like at the end of the day, if they lose Allen Robinson after this year to free agency, they're going to go ha- out and have to spend money on a guy who's probably not as good. Well, part of all, you had to earmark the money for Jimmy Graham and Nick and Nick Foles. So that's why I, I, I was trying right to be nice. I was trying to be nice. That's you. You did that to yourself by mentioning that. That's I, not my fault. I just don't understand it at all. The only thing I think you could probably make an argument for is, well, is this team going to be rebuilding very soon? Are they going to be, are they closer to what the Jags had to do this off season than we think? And if the answer to that is yes, then again, Ryan Pace isn't going to be the one overseeing that rebuild. If, if that's the case, there are a lot of people on that defense making a lot of money who are not going to be thrilled that you are uh, deciding to rebuild and go the Jaguars route. I mean, there are not that many guys on that defense that you wouldn't be able to move on from next year pretty easily. That's what I'm saying. If, if, if we, if let's say the bears go and now it's going to be tough to do this because they won the first two games. Let's say the bears go six and 10, for example, mm-hmm. it's just a total disaster over the rest of the season and they have to tear it all down they can easily move some of these guys or release some of these guys and start over. It's not as if they're really locked into this future. A lot of these contracts were signed a couple years ago. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to be a middle of the road team and we're just going to keep kicking the can down the road a little bit, but it's not as if they're mired in this version of what they want to be. If somebody wanted to tear it down and start over, they could. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, like it's not that you can't trade, Khalil Mack, if you wanted to. He's the only one. But no, well, I mean, like, you can't trade Robert Quinn because his contract, the way his contract is structured is, it'll be tough to trade him next year. But Mack is the guy where, like, you could trade him if you wanted to, yes, and you can get away with it. But, like, if you traded two first-round picks for Khalil Mack two years ago, and granted, it's not going to be Ryan Pace making this trade, but if you're the next guy coming in and you trade Khalil Mack for, like, a second-round pick, you're not going to feel good about that. No, of course not. But it, that's what I'm saying. It, it, you're not going to get proper value if you're doing a full-scale rebuild. I don't think this is going to happen. This is all hypothetical. But I just, again, I think that they're closer to that than a lot of people would probably be willing to admit. Well, the good thing is Nick Foles is locked up for the next uh, three seasons. So have that, that number one slash number two quarterback spot taken care of for the years to come. Good thing there were no other quarterbacks available in free agency. We won't talk about that, though. Let's talk about the Packers. Packers a team that were ticketed for regression by some people before the year. Uh, some of those people include me, and they have been <laughs> dominant through two weeks. 2-0, two and oh, uh, 43 points in week one, 42 points in week two. And I think, you know, I, I will say that there were pretty much everyone, actually, as I think about it, thought the Packers should have done more to address this offense during the offseason. Instead, they add nobody. They lose Jimmy Graham. They lose Stephen Funches to an opt-out. They draft Jordan Love, they draft A.J. Dillon. Are you surprised the offense has been this good without adding anybody through two weeks? Yeah, I'm surprised. But I also think that they're getting a different version of Aaron Rodgers than than the one we've seen over the last couple years. Uh This is kind of the perfect blend of him just being comfortable and playing within the offense. If you look Mm -hmm. at his time to throw numbers, he's getting rid of the ball. He's playing in rhythm. And it – it hasn't taken away from his aggressiveness. I think he has the second highest downfield rate in the entire league, but mm-hmm. he's still getting the ball out of his hands quickly. It's the right mix. 
And I still think when they get into later in the season, when you need some high leverage completions and it's third down and you just don't have anyone else to go to outside of Devontae Adams, it's probably going to show up more than it has so far. But I do think they've done a great job of, again, Rodgers playing within structure of what they want the offense to be and then giving him some layups. That was my question about this team is, did they have enough space players and yak guys and change of direction guys to be able to just give him quick throws where they got easy yardage. And they've been able to do that via scheme over the first two weeks. And I've, I've been impressed with that. So I have been impressed, but I also think that this version of the offense was possible. I just felt it was unlikely. Here's the scary thing about this for me through two weeks, Aaron Rodgers completing nearly 68% of his passes, um, six touchdowns, no picks, 8.2 yards per attempt, a passer rating of 119.4 with the highest drop rate in the league. And like, that might not just, change though. They're not just dropping. He's not going to, they're not going to drop nine and a half percent of his passes going forward. He will, yes, that's he, fair. Could be, he could be number one in the league, but like eight, he could have 800 passing yards and eight touchdowns through two weeks without really any different throws. Like his throws have been on point and that's really scary. I mean, he is a legitimate MVP candidate after two weeks for a guy who, you know, uh, some some elements of the analytics community, aka also me, uh, were saying he's not going to be an MVP candidate based on what we've seen from him over the past couple of years. I always there was always a certain level of confusion with me and Rodgers and what we saw over the last couple of seasons because clearly physically he still had it. You know, there were some throws of just like man, he looks like he's always looked, and there were some th- other things where it's like man, this doesn't make sense. It was hard to reconcile the player that we were seeing week in and week out. And I really do, I said this on my show earlier this week, I think he was a little bit bored. I feel like he wasn't taking things that were there. And his personality is strange. That's how he plays in practice, where he's just trying to pull things off and see what he can really is capable of. And I think that there were plays that he left on the field over the last couple of years because he just wasn't willing to take them. He wasn't playing within rhythm. He wasn't playing the way that they probably wanted him to within this offense. And I think that now you're seeing him play that way and it's working. And it's also year two. You know, we've seen this with this offensive scheme and branches of that Kubiak-Shanahan offense in the past where it takes a year for guys to really settle in and understand exactly how they're supposed to play within that offense. It happened with Matt Ryan. And maybe we're seeing the same thing happen with Aaron Rodgers. Uh Uh-oh. I I don't like this. I'm a little scared about this. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm ready for – Aaron Rodgers, second year, Shanahan boost, even at 37 years old. I will say, I mean, this defense through two weeks is 26th in DVOA. It yeah, they're is, not good. It, I mean, but they have a better reputation, I think, than maybe their numbers indicate. And I guess what I, I'm thinking about here when it comes to week three, they're at New Orleans this week. It's a big game for the Saints, who are maybe a team in crisis. Maybe we're a week away if they lose from being a team in crisis. How do you think the Saints – try to attack the Packers in this game on Sunday? I mean, I think it's going to be a huge Kamara game and just really taking advantage of those linebackers. That's where the Packers' defense is weakest. It's where they've been weakest for several years. And even if the Saints, you know, skill position talent without Michael Thomas and, you know, with Emmanuel Sanders not really doing much is not like you'd see with some other teams. I do think that they still have enough with their middle of the field pass catchers to take advantage of the Packers where they're weakest. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them just try to line up and push them around. Packers, I think, are 30th in run defense DVOA through two games. I mean, that's often a product of them being up big in games and teams being able to run the ball because they're letting them run the ball. 
But I do think if you look at the history of this team and Mike Pettin defenses in general, if you want to run the ball against them, you often can. And for as good of a pass rush unit as the Packers have, I do think you can push them around. And the Saints offensive line is still a really good group. So I expect a lot of Kamara both on the ground and through the air. Yeah, it looks like they're going to get Kenny Clark back, uh, which should help. He was living in practice on Thursday. But they might not have Devontae Adams. So that could be uh, a fun thing. You have Marshawn Lattimore versus uh, Alan Lazard, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Matchup for the weekend. Yeah, Matchup for the weekend. Uh, let's go to the NFC West. You have three 2-0 teams. Let's start with the Seahawks because another team, I predicted, would take a step backwards this year. And through two weeks, I feel like a real dum-dum because – they are suddenly the scariest passing offense in the history of the National Football League. Did you, when you were making that consideration, I remember reading that piece and listening to you talk to, who did you talk about that on a podcast with? The teams that were going to regress. Was it Mina? Were you on Mina's probably, podcast talking about that? Mina. Probably Mina. So I was listening to it. I remember I was in Colorado. I remember where I was and I was hearing you talk about it. When you were thinking about the Seahawks regressing, did you think about this possible timeline? where they were going to put the ball in his hands a little bit more, throw a little bit more, because that's always when I was considering what this team was going to be. If they went that route and they flipped that switch, mm-hmm. there was a chance they were going to be significantly better than they mm-hmm. were last season. And that version was always in the back of my mind when I was thinking about their projection. So did you just not even think that was a possibility? Not really. Cause here's why Russell Wilson's 32. It, it, you know, he's been good. He's been wow. pretty much this good for five years like it's not like russell wilson was kind of mediocre and just got good last year he's been incredible for the last five seasons and i've watched them stick to that plan year after year after year. i mean in 2018 russell wilson threw 427 passes in a full season 35 touchdowns seven picks uh was phenomenal on a per 10 basis but look at the guys who threw 16 passes or guys who played 16 games excuse me he threw almost 80 passes fewer than anybody else in football. That's how committed to the run they were. That's how committed they were to not letting Russell Wilson be effective and not letting him throw the football. So to me, you know, I kind of saw the 516 passes he threw a year ago as kind of the baseline where it's like, okay, you know, if he throws more than that, I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised necessarily, but he's on pace for what? Uh, 63. I can do math while I do a podcast. He's on pace for... <laughs> Only 504 attempts. It's actually not a pace with that many more attempts, but he's been super, super, super efficient. And they've also run the ball a bunch, uh, especially in the Falcons game. They were running the ball late because they didn't need to. They were already ahead throwing the football. I mean, he's not going to throw four and a half touchdowns a game. He's not going to complete 82.5% of his passes. He's not going not to have a 14% touchdown rate. But, I mean, he's been the MVP of the league through two weeks, and it's, to me it's not particularly close, no? I totally agree with you. But when I'm looking at some of the, like, they were fifth in offensive DVOA and third in passing DVOA last year. Mm -hmm. So even if they went with a similar kind of breakdown of run pass, everything else, when you think about the overall pass catching talent they have, how conducive it is to their scheme, this is not shocking to me. Again, he'll take a step back. He's, again, he's not going to complete 82% of his passes, but I don't think it's out of the question or surprising at all that he could be the MVP of the league if it's Mm -hmm. just a slight change and a slight alteration in the overall distribution of running and throwing that that's I, this was always in the cards for me if they went slightly more this direction it's kind of how i feel about their opponent this week when i was thinking about the dallas offense and why i was excited about them mm-hmm. it wasn't that you needed a wholesale change because the offense was already good it was i want them to go for it on fourth down more than it did under garrett and mm-hmm. i want them to run the ball less on first down than they did 
And even with those two tiny little tweaks, I think they could be one of the best three or four offenses in the league. And I felt similarly about Seattle. You don't need to say like, we're going to be the chiefs now, but if you just move the knob a little bit to one side, then this is possible. Mm -hmm. How concerned are you about this past defense? A little bit. I mean, I think that the fact that they're hurt, doesn't help. You know, you lose a couple of guys on the back end. I also think that the way that Jamal Adams is playing, the way they're asking him to play, mm-hmm. they're, it's, they're asking a lot of him. You know, if you oh, think yeah. about like those, those long completion to Edelman, a diving catch, you know, Adams is trying to fill against the run and then trying to get back to, you know, the, I think it was probably the deep half on that play, yeah. which is really difficult. So they're asking him to do so much that I think it kind of puts him in disadvantageous spots it's, it's so, cool that like i you know i wrote about that trade and i was like well he's not cam like he's gonna play something similar to cam but he's not cam and he's not earl and on that play they asked him to be cam and earl which is yes. a little a lot to do for a guy it's they're putting a lot on him and i do think that the my the thing i'm most concerned about beyond the past defense in the back end i just think their pass rush is doa and it's that, going that's to the be problem for the entire season so i, I am concerned about it but I do think that they can score with anybody right now. So I, it's not the most concerning thing in the world to me. Can you name the Seahawks starting edge rushers right now? LJ Collier. That's one. And Brinson Moya. Uh, it's Benson Mayo. So you didn't get the name right. Benson but Mayo. look at you. Yeah. Mostly credit. So that, 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 uh, those are the two guys playing. That's uh, big for guys. me. I didn't even have to look that up. Uh, I, I thought it was Brinson. I don't know why I thought like, that. Like our friend Will Brinson, the CBS Sports. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. I got it right. I, I'm, I feel pretty good about that. That's yeah, a win uh, for me. I, I would have said Rasheem Green, who is not starting. Uh, but, I mean, this is without Bruce Irvin now, who's out for the year with the torn ACL. I mean, it just, again, for a team that is has Super Bowl aspirations and has an offense that is legitimately the best in football right now, and, and you know, even if they did take a step back, which would have been, I think, one of the best in football, to not end up with Everson Griffin, Genevieve Clowney, or Yannick Ngakwe was a disaster. Yeah, the Griffin, I think, uh, is definitely the most egregious just because he was available for so – it wasn't a lot, so you absolutely could have probably afforded him. Here's my question, though. If you're looking – and we can talk about this with some of the other 2 no teams. I understand they have issues, and they're not perfect, but it doesn't look like there are a lot of really good teams in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Packers' defense is probably worse than the Seahawks' defense. Sure. The 49ers are a mess. The Cowboys are, I think, going to be good by the end of the season, but they haven't been very good so far. Uh, I mean, the Saints definitely don't look like the team we thought they were going to be. So even if you're concerned about the way the defense is playing for Seattle, I still feel like having the best player in the NFC, which he clearly is right now, Mm -hmm. gives them an advantage over pretty much everybody else. Again, with the caveat that it's two games. But if we're continuing on this trajectory, I'm not that worried about them and certainly not as worried about them as I am about other teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that, you know, that division to me is going to come down to health. It's going to come down to who is healthiest by the time we get to the halfway point of the season because – I think the 49ers ship has already sailed, man. Right, but I'm saying, but someone else has to win it, and there's still three other teams. Like the Niners, I, I've already kind of written them off as like they need to get healthy and maybe make a run in the second half because they're a mess right now. But sure. as we get to the other two teams in, in this division, the Rams are a team that come to mind for me. It's a team that really was hit hard by injuries last year, especially along the offensive line. And we're seeing with a healthier line, the Shelly did just lose Joe Nopum, but generally a healthier line and a line that's playing a lot better. We're seeing something that looks a lot more like the offense from 2018 with Jared Goff at quarterback. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like they've been able to be the offense they want to be because they've been in positive game scripts pretty much the entire season. So them really being able to lean on the run and play action. Do you know what Jared Goff's play action percentage is through two games? Oh, God. Is it in the 40s? Uh, it's almost in the 50s. It's 48% oh, no. of dropbacks. They are building the plane out of play action in Los Angeles, and it's working for them. I mean, they have really just kind of been able to settle back into this version of themselves with some tweaks. You know, I was very interested in what kind of the second and I guess third act at this point of Sean McVay would look like. Mm -hmm. And it, it looks a lot like the other two with some slight alterations. I think them able to – the way they're using Higby in the passing game – and, you know, some of the big chunks that they're able to get with him, some of the matchups they can create, having cut back to really be able to lean on him on third down. I mean, this is the version of their offense that's possible when things are going right, and they've gone very right so far. The surprising part with me and them, though, is how well the defense seems to be playing, because that, to me, was the biggest question coming into the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a defense that got rid of Wade Phillips that – pretty much kind of said, ah, oh, we're good at linebacker. We'll figure it out. You know, we're, we're just going to punt away uh, linebacker position. We'll be fine. Um, made some changes up front. Did end up bringing Michael Brockers back after he failed his Ravens physical. Um, but it's a work in progress on defense. And, you know, I, I mean, you don't want to make any bold proclamations after two weeks, but I've liked what Brandon Staley has done so far. I have too. I was talking to Brian Dable for a story I wrote for The Athletic today. And we just, they're playing them this week. So we, at the end of the call, we we're talking about it a little bit. And he was just commenting on how sound they are all over the place. You know, guys that are young and even, you know, rookies kind of coming in that safety, I can't remember his name now, that is starting for them right now over Taylor Rapp. And he's a rookie, third round pick coming in, playing well, playing smart. And when you have that level of stability across all 11 combined with a couple truly elite players, then you can have a really good defense. And the way that Jalen Ramsey is playing right now, is the guy that they traded for. So when you have a truly dominant corner, a truly dominant, the most dominant defense player in football in the front end, and you have everyone else doing their jobs, it's not that hard to be a good defense. <laughs> it seems like a shot at Wade Phillips, if you're asking me. I mean, it's, I think that sometimes guys' voices end up falling on deaf ears over time. You need change just for the sake of change every once in a while. You know, Brand Staley is a guy that has coached under really good coaches, I'm not surprised that he has a solid plan going into this. Every once in a while, you just need to hear somebody different. You need to try something different. And it seems like that's what's happening with the Rams. You're saying this like he was Tom Landry or somebody. He was there for three years. I understand that. But three years is a decent amount of time. And you know, he's been in the league for a long time. It's, I think the change is sometimes good. And I think that right now you're seeing that with the Rams. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to hear me besmirch Wade Phillips. It's never going to happen. I, I think you just besmirched him, dude. No. False. to tell you. Just taking it back. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I've been impressed. And I think watching that Rams Eagles game last week back, I watched uh, the all 22 of it. It was scary just how far behind the Eagles were in that game. The Rams could have scored 50 points and the Eagles were pretty lucky. I thought to even get to 19. Absolutely. I mean, the entire game, it felt like the Rams were in total control and it was a real contrast uh, between the, the two defenses for just who had a plan and who was comfortable in their game plan. The Rams felt they were in control the entire time, mm -hmm. and the Eagles' defensive players were just spinning in circles. I mean, they put Nate Gary in a blender during that game. And it's, that's not surprising, but you still have to take advantage of weak points on defenses. And it would seem like the Rams, with all of the turnover, also have some. 
and teams just have not been able to exploit them to this point. Do you ever have that dream where you go back to college or go back to high school and like you don't know where any of like your classes are? And Absolutely. You, yes. Like missed class for six months. I feel like like if I walked into one of those classes and sat down next to people, I'd be sitting down next to Nathan Geary, TJ Edwards, Duke Riley, uh, Marcus <laughs> Epps. Like, like the underbelly of this Eagles defense are the people who you, uh, you only go to class with in your dreams. They're like, they're just like, how are these guys like, playing meaningful snaps in this defense? I mean, they have systematically undervalued the linebacker position. It seems like on purpose over the last several years. The problem is when you're playing against, I think as a general rule, if you're going to skimp on a position, that's the position to skimp on. But there are really good offensive coaches in this league. They're going to identify where you're weakest, and they're just going to smash that button over and over and over again. And that's exactly what happened against the Eagles. They just didn't throw to Darius Slay's side, and they took advantage every single play of Nate Gary and Avante Maddox. That works. Yeah, it just feels like the Eagles spent all offseason super psyched about Darius Slay. Like, okay, we got our guy. We're good not realizing that it opened up like four other holes in their defense in the process. Yeah. I mean, it's, they have, I had Bull Wolf and Zach Berman on my show this week to talk about just the Eagles sadness. And they made a really good point. I think Bo said that this is an organization that consistently overreacts to things. They overcorrect for what their issues have been in the past. And at times that leaves them a little bit vulnerable in other spots. I think that's exactly what's going on with their defense right now. Well, I can tell you as a Giants fan, the Giants do the exact opposite of that, where they just ignore what's gone wrong in the past. Just kind of, <laughs> kind of see what they want anyway. It's a strategy. Yeah, some middle ground might be nice, but not, apparently not in the NFCs. That's not uh, an available option. Cardinals, also 2-0. Kyler Murray playing great also, I think, in that MVP discussion. Um, what do you think about this offense? I mean, is it, is it dramatically different to you than what we saw last year? Is it sustainable? Like, like how impressed are you? with what Cliff Kingsbury has done through two weeks. So I wrote about uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs today and just about how they've been able to hit the ground running when a lot of offenses typically, or a lot of receivers typically struggle when they change teams. And when you consider the truncated offseason, it makes it even more impressive what they've been able to do through two games. And I went back and I watched all of DeAndre Hopkins' targets. Mm -hmm. He's pretty much caught every single pass this season, which I think he leads the league in receptions with 22, on the left side of the field. Mm -hmm. So they're doing a great job, I think, of understanding that you need to bring him along slowly and kind of give Kyler a consistent, safe, reliable option early in the year as they figured this out. So they're running a lot of screens to him and then a ton of stuff where he's the lone receiver on the backside of a three by one. Mm -hmm. So I think what they're doing is Kyler's essentially sitting back there saying, all right, if he's singled up, I'm going to him. If they're bracketing him, I'm going to the other side. And it's really worked. It really is just a two-man game that they're playing that I don't know if it's necessarily what you want to build your offense out of, but when you're finding your footing and you're just looking for easy gains and you're trying to figure out exactly what you want to be in this feeling out period that this early part of the season is, I think that there are worse things to do than say Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are better than two guys that you have. Yes, absolutely. And I think we see that with other teams too. I mean, Patrick Mahomes maybe didn't need the help, but – the Chiefs for years. That, that's been their, their sort of three-by-one packages. We're going to have Travis Kelsey on one side, and you can choose to either, you know, play him one-on-one. And, 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 you know, even if you're playing zone, that sort of backside is going to turn into man coverage, and we're going to have a mismatch with our best receiver on that side of the field. And then 
if you want to double him or pay more attention to him, well, great. We're going to have a numbers mismatch on the other side. We can throw screens on that side. We can do whatever we want on that side because we're going to have, you know, the opportunity to get someone deep for a big play. And I think, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is not Travis Kelsey, but they, they can succeed in many of the same ways with their size, with their catch radius, with their strength, and they can be a mismatch for just about anybody. So, I mean, yeah, they really just logical way to use I think I think that they're similar in their value. They're just dis- they're not similar in the ways that you want to throw the ball to them. Hopkins is such an old school X in the way that most of the dominant receivers in the league just aren't. I mean, even Julio plays a lot of sl- uh, uh, snaps in the slot. Mm-hmm. Is a really good change of direction player. I mean, Hopkins is a boundary beat you along the sideline, out muscling you guy. That's really kind of a th- old school throwback player, and that's I. You don't see many guys like that right now, but I do think that the mismatch creation and just what you can do leaning on them is really similar to what the Chiefs do with Kelsey. Yeah, I mean, through two weeks, and I'll also say this, we're all going to talk about the offense, and, and, you know, the offense I think is very good. This defense is second in points allowed, and granted, one of those weeks was against Washington, and they allowed 15 points, but they, you know, even with the injuries, still slowed down the Niners, and I mean, you know, injuries aside, you would figure that Kyle Shanahan would have a solution for attacking the weakness. He beat up Isaiah Simmons in that game. And Isaiah Simmons played seven defensive snacks, uh, snacks, seven defensive snaps in week two as a, uh, uh, after that. So clearly they, you know, he's struggling, but this defense I think has been better than maybe I would have expected heading into the season. I picked them to make the playoffs. And the reason I picked them to make the playoffs is that I thought the offense would take a jump. And we know that you just need to get lucky on defense if you, you can piece it together on that side of the ball and still be a good team. So I'd be curious to see over the long haul whether the talent on that side of the ball can hold up. I mean, they just don't have many high-end players on that side. I mean, Patrick Peterson had a rough day last week against uh, Terry McLaurin. He did not play well. So uh, we'll see what happens over time. But I do feel like if the offense is going to be good and the defense can figure it out, there's no reason why this team can't go 10-6. Yeah, I, I could absolutely buy that as a plausible outcome for that team. My one concern about the offense that I didn't mention, just the offensive line. And I mean, yes. I, don't, I don't know that it's great when they're healthy, but just so many guys in that line have just dramatic injury histories. And I'm always worried about them being one injury away from just being an absolute mess up there. Well, I also think that that's why, stylistically, that's why they're doing a lot of the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, with the screens, that's been a part of the approach they've had for the last two years. It's probably, one, a way to get Kyle easy completions, but two, a way to keep him safe. And I also think that the Hopkins approach is in line with that because the reads are so fast. All mm-hmm. you're doing is I'm reading one to check down, one to check down, and it's getting the ball out of Kyler's hands really quickly. So I do think they've done a good job of just protecting against that issue. But I do think, like you said, over time, we're probably going to see it show up a little bit more. Did you know Kelvin Beecham is a starting offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals? I, I certainly did. And one of the reasons that I did is because all of the talk about the weird stances that him and J.R. Sweezy oh, no. have that I've been seeing on Twitter. Those like weird stand-up LaCharles Bentley stances that they have. Do you have any thoughts on the LaCharles Bentley stand-up stance that uh, Jack Conklin uses as well? You know what, if it works for you, you know, I, the one thing I, I've had a lot of conversations with offensive linemen in my career over the last few years, <laughs> if you can imagine that. And that is something people go to over and over and over again. It's just how important your, your stance is and what it does for you. So if this is something that guys are comfortable with and they think it works for them, then go nuts. I saw this week that Everson Griffin was talking about how they were asking him to play in a two-point stance more. And he essentially went to them and was like, I can't. 
It's it just, I'm not as good. And it's really interesting. I mean, it seems like such a small thing, but for a lot of guys, the comfort in that just overall you know, physical alignment and how, what it does for you and the mental side of it. I mean, it really does matter. So if you found something that works for you, go nuts. Again, we talked about this on your podcast. You've done podcasts for three different places, four different places um, for eight or nine years and still can't do anything besides the same like six word intro you've been doing since 2011. So exactly. I'm not surprised <laughs> that often to like, you know, a player who was getting paid a lot of money to start a play a particular way might feel a little weird about doing it in a different way. And they're much more talented than I am. So it makes me feel a little bit better about my just rigidness in my delivery. Well, a team that is not rigid, a team that is constantly evolving with a quarterback who might be evolving to superstar status after two weeks, the Buffalo Bills, 2-0. and I know you're a Bills supporter. I know that you're someone who's liked the way this team has been built, but I think we've got to start with Josh Allen. I mean, are you... I think everyone's impressed with Josh Allen after two weeks, but how impressed are you relative to the market? Uh, very. I think that mm-hmm. I'm you know, probably in line with everybody else. I mean, some of the throws he's made are unassailable. You know, it's not his numbers with in a clean pocket are you know, not as good as I think some people think Josh Hermsmeyer wrote something interesting about that today, but there are a lot of throws he's made where there's nothing you can nitpick about them. That throw coming across the field to Stefan Diggs yep. in the shadow of their own goalposts last week, that is the type of throw that is high-level quarterbacking, and hitting him on the right angle at the right speed, understanding exactly where he has to put that ball. And that is a throw that he struggled with over the first couple of years of his career. He did not do a good job about hitting guys coming across at that speed. And then the deep balls. I mean, that double move that he hit Diggs on, that is the type of throw he just was not hitting consistently last year. So I think that they've done a great job of putting him in the right spots, whether it's through play action or you know certain types of designs that have really focused what he has to be worried about. I think mm-hmm. he's playing confidently. I think he's playing in control. Overall, I loved every single piece of how they built that team. The receiving core of the line. I think Brian Dable is a fantastic offensive coordinator. The one question was whether Josh Allen could take another step forward. And I think that all of those other pieces have allowed him to do that. Mm-hmm. Now you know what I'm going to say, though. What are you going to say? Who do they play the first two weeks of the year? That's a good point. The Jets <laughs> and the Dolphins. But, I'm, you know, at the same time, I want to be fair, he was great against that. I, th- I think the Dolphins were his, were his best game as a pro. The Jets game, Yes. you look a little closer. I mean, there were the two ugly misses in the end zone, two fumbles, two drop picks. Like, it was, it was a good game. But I don't think it was like a, a otherworldly performance against the Jets. So really that Dolphins game is the one that stands out to me as that was the best performance of his career. So I'm going to ask you now, Rams, Raiders, Tennessee, Chiefs, Jets, Patriots, Seahawks, Cardinals over the next seven weeks. Not a lot of, you know, really scary defenses in that bunch, but to you, is there a quality of defense he has to play well against or a period of time where he has to play at this level? Like, like what will, what will do it for you to kind of take you from Josh Allen, oh, had a couple good weeks, to, oh, Josh Allen is this guy now, and we have to treat him like that guy. If he plays really well this week, it will go a long way in kind of crystallizing what he is right now, in my mind. Because I do think that the Rams are a diverse defense. They're a sound mm-hmm. defense. That last, year, or last week, they were just able to hit man beaters over and over and over again. When you have a, a game plan that perfectly aligns with how a team ends up playing you, you're going to have answers. And that's exactly what they did last week. They knew that the Dolphins were going to play man all the time. Their game plan was set up to beat that. And it did. So now when you come in and you're playing against a team that maybe is a little bit harder to predict, 
has a little bit more talent on the defensive side of the ball, what do you do? So if he can play well against this team this week and they come out and you're seeing similar types of production, then I think it's time to start saying it doesn't matter who they're playing against. We should probably take him seriously. So if he has that game and he plays that way, are the Bills the third best team in football to you? The, the second best team in football? Where do they stand for you? I'd say probably – I'd say third is safe. I think that it's uh, – the Chiefs and the Ravens are still up there to me. Mm-hmm. I think that they're separated from other teams. The Ravens right now, we can get to them, and their defense is playing fantastic. I, I really, are, they are scary in every single way. But I have no trouble putting the Bills third because overall, we talked about this on our AFC East preview. Mm-hmm. They have arguably the probably the best roster in the AFC top to bottom. Oh, for so sure. So if he's if he's playing this well, then I don't think I don't think it's crazy at all to say that they have the third best team in the league. It's not. I I, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I'm, I, I I agree. I mean, I think the the Steelers are in that discussion for me as well. We'll get to them in a second, but um, it's kind of scary that, that the maybe the three or four best teams in the league are all in the AFC. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying about the Seahawks and the NFC. It's just that yeah. it doesn't look like the top of that conference is nearly as strong as we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned the Ravens. Let's get to the Ravens. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a, a team that's off to a great start, 71 points scored, 22 points allowed. Greg Rosenthal, our friend, tweeted this, you know, something to this effect. Like, Lamar Jackson is averaging 9.8 yards per attempt, completing 78% of his passes. And we're all kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, like that's, that's what we would expect from Lamar Jackson. Like, are we spoiled by how good Lamar Jackson is right now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, he's so good that nothing surprises us. And it feels just feels like it's so casual. Yeah. Their answers to every single thing the teams are throwing at them. And they're fun to watch right now, man. I went back and watched that Texans game yesterday. And uh, Seth Walder said the, told me the numbers. They're leading the league in you know, motion at the snap. And when you yes. watch them play, it's not surprising whatsoever. They guys are just flying around. It's not just like jet motion with receivers. They're having tight ends you know, in motion at the snap and just running flat controllers. And it's just, there's so many moving pieces. And I just love that this team on both sides of the ball, after having the season they had last year, looked at what they were and said, let's be, let's be even harder mm-hmm. to account for on both sides. They, they just systematically make it tough to play against them. And I know that seems like a simplistic way of thinking about football, but other teams don't do that. And when you have the talent that they have and that sort of plan, you become really dangerous in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a team that I think, you know, uh, is ahead of the curve, obviously. They're obviously analytically inclined. The offense is not the most modern offense, but I, I think they do so much to manipulate defenses and so much to stay ahead of what defenses are going to do to try and stop them that, you know, they're just... They're, they're so it's not modern though. What do you mean when you say that? Like they don't pass the ball 70% of the time. That's a modern offense at this point. I guess so. But I think a modern offense and what a modern offense should look like is again, just adding layers of complexity mm-hmm. to make things difficult. I think a modern offense is play action heavy and motion heavy. Sure. And that's exactly what they are. So to me, they are a modern offense, even if the run pass distribution is not like you'd see with a team like the Chiefs. That's fair. Maybe, you know, maybe a modern run offense is probably the better way to put it. I mean, they are just, it, it, they're incredibly efficient. They are just downright scary running the football. And I think, uh, honestly, the thing I think about more with this offense than I should realistically is when the Bills fired Greg Roman 
two weeks into the 2016 season after Rex Ryan's defense had 37 <laughs> points against the Jets. Uh, it's it really is just one of those things. It's like Greg Roman's just been good at all the spots he's ever gone. Uh, you never trust a defensive-minded head coach that fires an offensive coordinator. That offensive coordinator is probably good at his job. You should you actually use that as a reason to hire somebody. Yeah, I mean, it's like this is like the perfect match of offensive coordinator and quarterback. Oh, um, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think this offense is going to keep up. I think Mark Andrews playing more snaps has been really promising. The running game has been very effective. I mean, there's, you know, you can't really poke holes in this offense at all. And I think when it comes to the defense, like you said, they're playing at a really high level. I just love how aggressive they're playing. Mm-hmm. It's the type of defense that they know they're going to make plays. I was going back and watching uh, last week again, the play that Marlon Humphrey made, that fumble, the, the, the fumble that he caused, that, that he returned for a touchdown, mm-hmm. they just expect for that stuff to happen. You know, the Marcus Peters interception, they're a defense that dictates the game to you. They have the second highest blitz rate in the league. They play a lot of man behind it. It's not dissimilar from what the offense is. They have a vision and they execute that vision that's based around the talent of their players. And again, that seems simple and like, an oversimplification and something that every team probably does, but every team doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. I will say Deshaun Elliott started two games at free safety. That was the plan after they got rid of Earl Thomas. Clearly the fact that Earl Thomas has not signed anywhere tells you what the league thinks about Earl Thomas's uh, current level of production. Here, here's what I'm going to say though. The chiefs are the chiefs. I would want, a veteran free safety against the Chiefs. That's just me. That's just, just my plan. So I'm. They also I'm, lost Tavon Young too, right? So they lost Tavon Young for the year as well. The secondary, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that's going to be the difference for them against the Chiefs? Or, or what do you think that game comes down to? I'll be curious to see how the Ravens end up attacking the Chiefs defensively because, again, they play a lot of man coverage. Do you think that you can do that against Tyreek Hill? How do they end up guarding Tyreek Hill if they do play man? Is that a situation where Marlon Humphrey follows him around into the slot? Do you feel comfortable about Jimmy Smith doing that? So I do think that, you know, with the injuries they've had on that side of the ball, that the Chiefs are at a, are an advantage where, where they may not have been two weeks ago. I will say Marlon Humphrey erased Will Fuller from the earth last week. So yeah, he can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that Tyree Kill is a little bit better than Will Fuller. Yes, but he has that in his, he has that in his range of outcomes is just, you know, absolutely shut down cornerback. Um, for a guy who doesn't and get that kind of hype. Oh, and I think he absolutely is. And he's somebody that's comfortable moving to the slot. They had to do that yes. last year because of injuries. And so he's flexible in a way that very few kind of number one-ish corners in the NFL are. Absolutely. Steelers also 2-0. and um, I think the defense has been phenomenal. Offense still a work in progress. I mean, obviously losing James Conner in week one, and then he comes back and he plays pretty much all the snaps in week two. Still feels like they're kind of finding their identity, kind of figuring out what, what they have and don't have with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, they haven't been dominant, but I feel like they've been the better team, certainly, in both their games so far. Yeah, and I think that the offense doesn't have to be great. You know, it really was just a matter of being better than they were last season, and that wasn't going to be hard. Having Ben Roethlisberger, even a diminished version of himself, was going to make this a tolerable offense. It was just a question of whether or not the defense could keep it up, and through two games, they look like the best defense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that they're playing. I think that too many teams – Again, it's about your plan and how you distribute your resources. But I feel like too many teams that have dominant pass rushes say, we're going to bring four. That's just who we're going to be and just play seven on the back end. And we trust our four guys to do it. The Steelers have gone the opposite route. 
they know they're dominant up front and they're essentially telling teams, we're going to crush you with this. They're blitzing right now on 61% of plays. Oh boy. That's bonkers. And, but they essentially are saying, we're going to get to you every time we dare you to, to get rid of the ball quick and have that be the style of offense that you play. And it's really working for them so far. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you look at, at their schedule over the next three weeks, it's Houston who, I mean, are desperate for a victory, but who have offensive Sean lines. Sean gets sacked well. 15 times in that game. That's not out of the range of possibilities. At Tennessee, who, you know, uh, their line is still a work in progress a little bit after the changes they made over the offseason. The Eagles, the Browns, I mean, they, they're going to have opportunities to attack these opposing offenses in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's a matter of getting your footing. And it's similar to what we talked about with the Cardinals, where it just notch these wins and you'll figure it out as it goes. And I think that the Steelers will find the right distribution mm-hmm. uh, on their offense. The offensive line is a little dinged up, so you know, that's something that maybe that doesn't necessarily get better. But Deontay Johnson, I think, is going to be a good player for them. He's getting a ton of work. We've seen the splashes from Chase Claypool so far. So I do think that overall they have the ability on that side of the ball. It's just about figuring it out over time. And when you're already 2-0, and that buys you a little bit of time to do that. Is there anybody else – in the NFL, who drafts a position the way the Steelers draft wide receivers? No. And it, it's funny because Claypool is not – he doesn't fall in line with the type of guys they normally draft. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, they've had a similar type of style in those guys pretty consistently from the time they drafted Antonio Brown. They really liked players that were returners. That's, they always looked at that as like a – if you're a returner, you usually have some, you know, yak in-space skills mm-hmm. – Deontay Johnson was a returner. He's a similar type of player. Claypool, I think, is just their organizational commitment to height, weight, speed guys. And they usually do it on defense, but it seems like they looked at his overall physical profile and said, we can't not do this. And essentially all he's done in his career so far is catch 60 hard passes. <laughs> That's a good guy to have on your roster. It's not it's like, bad. It's like the um, uh, Devery Henderson role where it's like you only are going to get bombs, and that's it. That works. That's a good thing to have on your roster. Um, other 2-0 teams, Tennessee. Their, their path to 2-0 has not been maybe as impressive. They, you know, struggled through that slog of a Monday night game against the Broncos. They beat the Jags by three points a week, a week ago. But, I mean, I think if you're trying to be optimistic, I mean, they had a formula with Ryan Tannehill last year and Derrick Henry, of course, but Ryan Tannehill, you know, working off of a ton of play action and putting up crazy numbers on play action. And there was a chance that formula was going to come into 2020 and just not work. I mean, there's so many things about that. You know, he was so effective doing it that you would figure there was going to be some significant regression towards the mean. And through two weeks, that formula still works. Yeah, I, I just think that Arthur Smith is a really good play caller. I mean, you look at a lot of the stuff that they're doing, it's just little tiny tweaks. Mm-hmm of stuff they did last year. This is a, I think this is really illustrative of what they're doing and why it's working. On the first play of the game against Jacksonville, they ran what was essentially a leak play, mm. but instead of using the backside tight end to do that, it was a delayed release from Johnny Smith on the front side. Mm-hmm. And that was my question about this team coming in. It's like, all right, we've seen the bag of tricks. What is the counter to the bag of tricks going to be? And little tiny things like that so you're following the same recipe, but it's slightly different in order to keep teams off balance. I think that's the right approach for them. And so far it's worked. I mean, Tannehill is third in the NFL in passing DVOA right now after Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers. They're getting everything they want out of him still. My one question is, 
I do not like their approach on first down because they're, I think, 24th in rushing DVOA. Derrick Henry leads the NFL in first down rushes, and he's averaging about 2.9 yards per carry on those. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's a slightly different distribution that could work better for them than what's working right now. But if the passing game is going to keep going like it's going right now, then I absolutely think they're going to be in the mix. Okay, two questions for you. Number one, tomorrow you are named the NFL offensive coordinator. You inherit, uh, let's say Arthur Smith's playbook. How many times are you running league per game? At least three. At least, you have to run it once a quarter, I think. Bare minimum, yeah. unless you're up 40 points in the fourth quarter, which you're probably going to be if you're running league all those times. The Chiefs tried to do it last week, and it didn't work. It's the first time I can remember it not working because there was pressure up front. So yeah. typically, it's a 100% proposition. Two teams scored touchdowns off of it last week. The Rams did and the Falcons did. Yep. And the Titans hit it for a 60-yard gain on the first play of the game. The Rams ran it with at least two players. They ran it with Cooper Cup as well. So, like, I'm excited to see how many players you can get hit leak with in one game, how many, <laughs> you know, how many vary. Like, I feel like it's, it's something I want to see a team run 20% of the time and see if it works. Honestly, though, if I were an offense coordinator in the NFL right now, I'm pretty sure I would just take Arthur Smith's playbook. The type yeah. of stuff he's doing and overall the design of that offense is exactly the type of stuff I'd like to run. I will say I haven't looked at the numbers. I want to go back and do this. It does feel like they're picking up a lot of third and mediums right now. Sure. And I don't know how sustainable that's going to be just because it's not the style of offense they are. Mm -hmm. So if they get into more high leverage situations against really good defenses, I don't think that's going to continue. To get to the Derrick Henry thing, in terms of that offense, like if you're going to pay Derrick Henry what you paid him and you're going to structure your offense around that running game, like do you almost feel like they're sort of priced in and obligated to run the ball as much on first down as they are with Derrick Henry just because they've sort of told themselves that's what's working? Yeah, and I do think that if you talk to people there, they consider themselves a running team. And I just – it's always frustrating when you hear teams talk like that and just like, yeah, that's who we are. You know, da, 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 da. It's like, you can be a run first team and you can have the run be the baseline of your offense. It doesn't mean you have to slam your guy into an eight man box every first and 10 that there's a middle ground to reach here. I think that's what we found during our conversation today, Barnwell is that NFL teams occasionally struggle with moderation. I mean, like, I, okay. When Tennessee does that, I'm at least, okay, like, that makes sense. Like, you have this big bruising back. When the Rams say it, I'm like, no, you're not a run-first team. You're a passing team where you want to tell yourself you're a running team. And that's exactly right. That's exactly the type of team I would want to be. So if, you're built, if I was building an approach, I would be a passing team that says I'm a running team. That's exactly okay. what I would want to do. Okay. Two teams left. The Kansas City Chiefs. Any holes to poke in them at 2-0? I'm concerned about how the offensive line looks right now. Do you I mean, know? I think I'm, do you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just think on the interior, that's the weakest part of their team. I think that that's shown up. Yeah, I feel well, like the the Chargers' defensive line controlled that game for a good chunk of it. And I know that they're not going to play teams with as much juice as the Chargers have up front every single week. But I do think that that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. I mean, they're not a perfect team by any means. Mm -hmm. Well, Mace, can I tell you who ranks last in ESPN's pass block win rate stat? Is it the Kansas City Chiefs? No, I'm saying individual players. Oh, I don't know. It's somebody Mitchell, in the offensive line? Mitchell Schwartz of ah, the Kansas nice. City Chiefs. I'm, I'm not saying Mitchell Schwartz is the worst lineman in football. I'm not saying that. But I will say, for a guy who is consistently the best right tackle in football or in the top two or three, he has not been as good this year as he was a year ago. And granted, he's played, you know, 
tough competition to start the year. This competition won't be quite as tough, but I would be concerned about that being a problem. I think he'll be fine. I'm not concerned about him. I, I think he'll be fine as well. I'm not saying it's not going to be fine, but like given that they have that sort of, you know, that churn on the interior, like you're relying on the guy who's always great for you to play great. We saw at the Rams last year, they churned their interior. And when the guys who were on the edges didn't play as well as they had in years past, the offense collapsed. It's not going to happen to the Rams because they have Patrick Mahomes, not Jared Goff, but like, that's the first thing that would come and make me think, okay, well, if the chiefs aren't going to live up to expectations, that's what would worry me. Yeah, I think so too. But I also think that Joey Bosa was playing, he got shot out of a cannon last week. So it, it, they're playing against guys that aren't Joey Bosa and JJ Watt. I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, I, I think so too. But something to watch. I'm going to say that much. Um, I, I mean, this offense has been good through two weeks, but it hasn't been like that. It hasn't been that sort of terrifying, you know, uh, 2019 playoffs offense where just when they got hot, they eviscerated anything and they were going to score touchdowns every single drive. Like they have been, they were in kind of second gear for the Texans game. The Texans also game plan that way. They played too deep and sort of forced the ball to Clyde Edwards Alaire and that worked obviously, but it wasn't like they had a ton of big plays in the chargers game. I mean, they got, you know, the, the, the offensive line or the chargers handled them up front. They had a couple big plays that, that one um, big play to Hill, but otherwise, you know, they haven't had that sort of, Oh my God, how is anybody going to stop this team game? And I, you know, it's going to happen at some point, but I don't know if it's going to happen against the Ravens on Sunday or Monday, excuse me. I'll be curious. I mean, I think that the Chargers, historically, if you look at his production against them during his career, they've been the team that's played him the best. Mm-hmm. And their style of play is on one end of the spectrum. You know, they rarely blitz. They're near the bottom of the league. I do think they're last again this year. They play a lot more zone than a lot of man-heavy teams tend to play in this era of football. And it works because they can get after him with four. And for whatever reason, that does a good job of limiting explosive plays. I think if you look at the Mahomes numbers, I mean, if DeMarcus Robinson catches that ball in the end zone for that deep touchdown, that game looks a lot different in terms of his overall stats. So I, I do think that it's one game where you know, one or two drops go a different way, the numbers are different, and they play the team that usually gives them a hard time. So I, I definitely think that they'll probably get back on track when we're playing against teams that historically don't have a good plan for them. I also, by the way, um, disappointed you did not mention Tyson Alualu in our Steelers discussion. I, I was absolutely shocked that he was still in the league first of all he's playing at a ridiculously high level and he was a top 10 pick 10 years ago mm-hmm. and a lot of the guys who were considered better players in that draft have come and gone and here's Tyson Alualu just playing high level football a decade into his career I mean more power to the guy it's very impressive yeah um I, I mean I I've been impressed with the secondary you know obviously not the the toughest opponent in week two with Justin Herbert, but I thought they, they held up pretty well against the Texans. Yeah. I think that team is really well coached. I feel like they've been able to drop guys who are not you know, pedigreed high level players into those spots and gotten pretty decent results over the last two years under Spagnuolo. So that's not surprising to me. I do think that for the talent they have on that side of the ball, they tend to you know, get the most out of it. Are we ever as a football watching universe going to get past the thing where like a good coordinator becomes a head coach and as bad as a head coach, we all laugh at him. And then we forget that he was good as a coordinator. And so when he becomes a coordinator again and he's good, we're not like, Oh, weird. It's like the first two games of Jay Gruden this year. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's the Jay Gruden corollary. No, I, I don't think we're ever going to do that. We should because I know we absolutely should. They're different jobs and you can be good at one and not good at the other. And it doesn't change the fact that you were good at the first one. 
I mean, there are a lot of guys. I mean, Wade Phillips is the perfect example of this. I mean, it's probably the Wade Phillips corollary. Yeah. There are some guys that just aren't cut out for that job. And I, every time I've heard stories about Wade Phillips, just he didn't like being a head coach because he didn't like cutting people and some of the other things that went along with it. He was just suited to be a coordinator and he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about him like he's, he's no longer available to coach. He's still available if you're a I know. defensive coach. Trust me, I, I have, I've had a conversation with Wade Phillips recently. He's very bored. <laughs> he's doing the – he has his whole uh, numbers defense uh, thing on Twitter. On, uh, on Coach Do something, Coach Do? It might be on its own thing. I was talking, I was uh, trying to talk to him for a story that I was working on and I asked him if he was available and he said, yeah, I, uh, I'm doing nothing and I start at noon. So whenever you want to talk. <laughs> like, oh, wait, Phillips, what a great man you are. That's my, that's my dream life, actually, now that I just occurred to you. <laughs> um, one more team left here. I think I surprised the Las Vegas Raiders are two. And not because they uh, beat the Panthers in week one, but because they beat the Saints on Monday Night Football in week two. So when you watch that game, Maze, when you watch what the Raiders done through two weeks, was that more about the Saints having a bad day or the Saints or the Raiders, I should say, uh, impressing you with how they played? I think it's a combination of the two. I think that they did a great job of just hammering Malcolm Jenkins over and over again in that game. They realized they could take advantage of him with Waller and they did. But it's not surprising to see the Raiders play like this. I mean, I think that what their offense has been like through the first two games is a lot like what their offense looked like last year. I mean, extremely well-designed, very efficient, you know, getting the ball out of a car's hands, you know, really moving the ball down the field, not a lot of negative plays. You know, he takes some bad sacks, but for the most part, he doesn't hold on to the ball long enough to do it. So, I mean, that team, I went back and watched that game this week because I was, you know, considering, I was like, all right, do I need a Derek Carr mea culpa here? Is he playing differently? Is, was I just wrong about the ceiling of this offense with Derek Carr? And it's not really that different. They're using more play action, I think, to kind of scheme some aggressiveness into him. He hit one of those kind of deep over routes that's fundamental. It's like the McVay playbook again to Brian Edwards last week. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, this is – I'd like to see a little bit more of this. But for the most part, I mean, he's getting the ball out. He's checking down. He's doing Derek Carr stuff. But they have enough talent, and the offense is coordinated extremely well with Gruden, that it's going to work. Can I ask you a question about Derek Carr? That's a little embarrassing. You certainly may. Had you ever heard Derek Carr speak before Monday night? Yes. Can you explain? Because his I have accent? talked to Derek Carr in the past. Can you He's explain very, yeah. his accent to me? No, I really can't. It's a, it's a great question. I definitely cannot explain it. He was doing the post game like really voice. Yeah. Yep. Like like the first half of the interview, like he was doing a draw, and I thought it was like a bit, and I was trying to figure out like why is he doing this bit on national television where he pretends to have like this like very thick accent. Like he sounded like he was in Creed. Like I was. I, I was really confused. And then I looked it up and he was in, you know, he, he grew up in California, but then went to Texas. He was in Texas for a long time. So maybe that was it. But like, it blew my mind. I did not know also, Derek Carr talked that way. You have to also understand that Bakersfield, California is the American South. So uh-huh. even if you move from Texas to Bakersfield, it's really no different. Okay. That explains something then. Uh, I was, I was shocked. I was very confused. I, I thought this offense, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to like. I think John Gruden has done a better job than maybe people think. You know, Derek Carr was a top 10 quarterback last year, which, you know, if you asked 100 people who were the 10 best quarterbacks in football, Derek Carr would get mentioned maybe once out of those 100 people. So I think you have to give him some credit. The offensive line obviously playing at a high level, even after losing a couple guys last week, not having Trent Brown or Richie Incognito, both of whom are really good when they're healthy. And 
I, I just think that, you know, this offense is going to give teams some trouble. I, I, I do think that this game against the Patriots, though, on, on Sunday, like, you know, Bill Belichick has to be so excited to double team Darren Waller. And that's the thing is against a team that has a really solid defense. I'm curious what they look like. You watch this team and it's like, it gives me vibes of the Alex Smith Chiefs when I watched this, the Raiders team play because the offense is so well designed. They ran a play, I can't remember what quarter it was in, but Aguilar was the single receiver to the right side. They had two tight ends to that side. And they motioned Aguilar down into like a little trips formation with the two tight ends. Mm-hmm. And they ran a little man beater out of what had amounted to a trips formation. It's like, that's really cool. Like they do stuff like that all the time. They create space for their receivers. But if you go look at the all 22, even with rugs, there are just plays left on the field. Mm-hmm. I just think that with Carr playing quarterback and just the way that he's wired, even if they're going to be an efficiency monster, there is such a defined ceiling to what this team can be. And I just think that's what Derek Carr is as a quarterback. And that's what he's going to be no matter what sort of situations John Gruden tries to put him in. So then do you think they were wrong to build the team around so many speed guys? No, because I think that speed guys are a space creator as much as they're a big play waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that creating space for somebody who's an underneath passer is typically a good thing. So I don't think that that is the wrong move. I just don't think that, I think it makes sense. I think it leads to a better version of this offense, but I don't think the best possible version of this offense is in the cards with Derek Carr quarterback. I guess that's what I would say. Defensively. I mean, they slow down the saints. The Panthers move the ball pretty effectively. Actually the saints, I mean, you know, until the end of the game, until garbage time, Drew Brees' numbers were a mess. I think that's really more what I was thinking about when I asked you how much of it was the Saints versus the, uh, versus the Raiders. I mean, do you think that Drew Brees just left a ton of plays on the field, or do you think it was more that the Raiders' defense has some things to be excited about? I think it's probably the former. I'm, I, I'm not very excited about this defense. I think that they still struggle getting after the quarterback. I think that they still have issues on the back end. You know, we'll see what the linebackers can look like when they're healthy. And Kwiatkowski was out last week. So and Mo, Mo Hurst has given them some stuff, which I think is a good thing. But overall, I do think it's just a talent-deficient group that over time is probably going to get exposed. Well, we will see them against the Patriots this week. They get the Bills in week four and then the Chiefs in week five before they're by. So that's a pretty We're find rough, out a lot about the Raiders. Yeah, pretty rough next three weeks before their week six, five. But that's it. 11 2-0 teams. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, hope I didn't skip one. People are going to be pretty pissed if we skipped one. But I believe we covered them all. Yeah, I, I think that that's – we hit what we should. How many more injuries will it take before you are lining up at wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers? I'm ready now. I'm in pretty good shape. I, I got a Peloton right when quarantine started. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So have Kyle give me a call. What a brag. Robert Mays, Peloton owner, podcaster, <laughs> writer. Please plug where people can find you. Do you want to plug your, your Peloton username as well? I don't know how. No, I'm, go- I'm good with that. I, I'm a little self-conscious about people seeing how, what my workouts look like. Um, yeah, the Athletic Football Show, three times a week. with Sunday nights with Nate Tice. Wednesdays, we got a nice rotating cast of characters. We had Joe Thomas on this week. Uh, Thursday is me and Lindsay Jones previewing the week and I'm also writing for the athletics. So please check that out. Please subscribe to both. And uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on the Bill Barnwell show. Thanks of course, buddy. It's always fun. Well, we'll see what happens if the bears lose their next six games. We'll have you back on then. We'll see if it's as fun <laughs> that time. Uh, it's definitely possible. So I'm ready if that does happen. All right. Thanks so much. As always, to my guest, Robert Mays of The Athletic. And we have more audio coming. Going to be back next week, recapping 
uh, week three, already three weeks into the NFL season by the time you listen to the next show. So lots to talk about. And thanks so much for listening to today's show.